Bringing you the latest in tax credit news, this is Tax Credit Tuesday with your host, Michael Novogratty. The legislative challenges have been significant. We very much need legislation. we got to produce housing. We're still in a very volatile industry. It's a challenging atmosphere for almost anyone. We can't get all these mixed signals and messages. He doesn't have a bipartisan bill. Nothing's going to happen. Alternative energy is still very expensive. Hello, I'm Michael Novogratik, and this is Tax Credit Tuesday. Today is Tuesday, March 17, 2015. Happy St. Patrick's Day. In our general news section, I'll talk about updated baseline projections from the Congressional Budget Office and what it expects the federal debt and deficit to look like over the coming year and beyond. This is my prelude to the House releasing its budget today. Next week, I'll report on the status of budgets in the House and the Senate and the possibilities of having a budget agreed to by both houses. I'll also discuss news as to how listeners can contribute to tax reform discussions in Washington. In our affordable housing section, I'll share analysis of the 2015 HUD income and rent limits, as I mentioned last week. Then I'll talk about a report that points out the importance of funding affordable housing that serves extremely low-income households. In the same section, I have a state-level update from Georgia as to how the value of low-income housing tax credit properties should be assessed for property tax purposes. In New Markets Tax Credit News, I have information on the latest Qualified Equity Investment Issuance Report and why, not too surprisingly, the amount of investments finalized in February dropped by nearly 90% from the previous month. Turning to Historic Tax Credit News, I have a report on the Wisconsin State Historic Tax Credit, which is in danger of being scaled back dramatically. Finally, we'll close out this week's podcast with our Renewable Energy Tax Credit section. I'll discuss the updated and much-anticipated beginning of construction guidance for the Renewable Energy Production Tax Credit and the Investment Tax Credit. If you're ready, let's get started. In general news, the House is scheduled to release their budget today, and the Senate is not far behind. As a prelude to my initial analysis, which I'll share next week, Let's review the Congressional Budget Office's, or CBO's, updated baseline projections it published earlier in the year. This type of update or adjustment is typical after the President's budget is released. According to CBO's updated projections, if current federal taxes and spending remain in place, the federal budget deficit will total $486 billion in fiscal year 2015. This amount is roughly the same shortfall as in 2014. In a similar way, the projected 2015 deficit is only slightly lower as a percentage of gross domestic product, or GDP, when compared to last year. For 2015, the deficit is projected to be about 2.7% of GDP, and in 2014, it was 2.8%. CBO estimates the percentage of GDP number will drop to 2.4% for the next three years, but it'll then begin to rise. And by 2025, the deficit, the annual shortfall, is projected to reach $1 trillion, which would be about 3.8% of GDP. With such deficits, CBO's baseline projections predict that the federal debt will continue to rise, reaching 77% in 
of GDP by the year 2025. So what does all that mean for the economy? Well, high and rising debt obviously can have serious negative consequences for the country. Federal spending and interest payments would increase substantially. National savings would consequently be reduced. And lawmakers would have less flexibility to use tax and spending policies to respond to unexpected challenges. And the large debt would definitely be a challenge to investor confidence. Now, I'll keep you updated on the latest budget news. You can follow me on Twitter. My handle is at Novogratik. And as I mentioned, tune in next week for my thoughts on the House budget that's scheduled for release today. Next, I have news about a chance for the tax credit community to make sure its voice is heard in Washington as Senate lawmakers consider tax reform options. The Senate Finance Committee announced last week that its tax reform working groups are inviting comments from the public as it works to advance tax reform efforts this year. Now, as you probably recall, the five tax reform working groups in the Senate are Community Development and Infrastructure, Business Income Tax, Individual Income Tax, International Tax, and Savings and Investment. The Community and Infrastructure Group's jurisdiction includes the Low Income Housing Tax Credit, the New Market Tax Credit, and the Historic Tax Credit whereas the Business Tax Reform Group's jurisdiction includes Renewable Energy Tax Credits. I encourage you to consider submitting your comments and ideas. You have until April 15th, Tax Day. For more information on submitting comments, go to www.finance.senate.gov. I also encourage you to reach out to various groups that will be submitting comments. Groups like the Affordable Housing Tax Credit Coalition, the New Markets Tax Credit Coalition, and the Historic Tax Credit Coalition. And of course, the various Novogratic technical working groups. Our New Markets Tax Credit, Local Housing Tax Credit, and Renewable Energy Tax Credit working groups will all be submitting comments. If you want to get involved there, send an email to cpas at novoco.com with your thoughts and comments. Next, let's turn to affordable housing news. As I reported last week, the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development, or HUD, released its fiscal year 2015 income and rent limits. The income and rent limits went into effect the day they were issued March 6th. We've used the time since then to delve a little bit deeper into the 2015 income limits and what they'll mean for the industry. Here's what we found. At the county level, there is an overall average increase in multifamily tax subsidy project or MTSP income limits. The average increase is 2.59%. Now, once again, this is the income limits that would be used in multifamily tax subsidy projects that are new and involve or involve layered financing. Now, for the 83% of counties that did see an increase, the average increase was 3.5%. Now, approximately 17% of counties actually had a decrease. In those counties with a decrease, the average decrease was 1.88%. And I should note that less than 1% of counties saw no change. Now, the other major category of MTSP income limits is for those properties placed in service before January 1, 2009, which includes what are referred to as Harris Special projects and those that are being held harmless from prior changes in their median incomes. And this group the average increase was a lower rate. The lower average increase is 1.71%. Of this group, 
58% of the counties had an increase in their MTSP income limits, and the remaining 42% saw no change. Overall, state and national area median incomes did increase. Nationally, AMI, area median income, increased from 63900 for fiscal year 2014 to 65800 That's a nearly 3% increase, 2.97% to be exact. In metro areas, AMI increased by 3.63%. That's going from 66002 to 68400 In non-metro areas, the AMI increased by 3%, going from 52500 in fiscal year 2014 to 54100 in fiscal year 2015. All states, that's right, all states had an increase in total area median income. Only four metro areas and eight non-metro areas had an AMI decrease. Now, the large increase in the national area median income is good news, particularly because HUD caps the maximum increase in MTSP income limits at the greater of 5% or twice the change in national median family income from last year to this year. Now, because the percentage change from 2014 to 2015 was nearly 3%, 2.973%, the overall increases were capped at 5.947% instead of 5%. Of the nearly 4,800 areas for which income limits were released, over 1,000 rose at a pace faster than 5%. Furthermore, there are roughly 50 areas that saw income increases capped by this 5.947% limit. I should note, though, that decreases are still limited to 5%. If you'd like to see how your property fares under the new limits, I encourage you to check out the Novogratic Rent and Income Limit Calculator. Go to www.novoco.com. We have updated the calculator with the revised numbers, and it went live on Sunday. It is in uh, beta form, I note, now, it is a convenient tool for determining your property's rent income limits, and this beta version is still undergoing additional testing. And I note that results are subject to change. And if you find any errors or bugs in the 2015 limits, please let us know. And if you have any questions as to how the 2015 income limits might affect your property, I do encourage you to contact your nearest Novogratz and Company office or send an email to cpas at novoco.com. Next, I'd like to discuss a report that highlights the importance of funding affordable housing that particularly serves extremely low-income households. The report by the National Low-Income Housing Coalition, or NLIHC, found that the number of extremely low-income renters rose about 700,000 from 9.6 million in 2009 to 10.3 million in 2013. In 2013, extremely low-income renters made up nearly a quarter of all renter households. The National Low Income Housing Coalition reports a shortfall of 7.1 million affordable rental units available to extremely low-income renter households in 2013. So naturally, the next question is, what can be done to address this great need? Well, reports like these can help us show policymakers why it's important not only to preserve funding sources for affordable housing, but to enhance and expand them so that they serve the families that need them the most. The National Low Income Housing Coalition's Housing Spotlight Report is titled, Affordable Housing is Nowhere to be Found for Millions. You can find it at www.taxcredithousing.com on the Reports and Research page. In state-level news, 
The Georgia Department of Revenue issued a recent bulletin clarifying how to determine fair market value for low-income housing tax credit properties in Georgia. The clarification came in the wake of state legislation that went into effect last summer that changed the definition of the phrase fair market value of property. The fair value is used to determine property tax assessments in the state. The legislation caused some confusion as to whether or not assessors were required to consider rent restrictions on low-income housing tax credit properties when calculating their value. Now, as you probably know, the three standard appraisal approaches are the sales comparison approach, which compares the property to similar properties recently sold, the cost approach, which combines the cost of improvements, accrued depreciation, and the value of the land, and the income approach, which projects future income from a property. The Georgia Appraisal Procedures Manual directs staff to consider all three approaches, but to emphasize the approach that would most closely reflect the price in the open market. The new bulletin clarifies that rent restrictions must be taken into consideration and that tax credits cannot be considered when determining fair market value. It also clarifies that when determining fair market value, other similarly restricted properties must be used. I think we all know why this is important. Property taxes are a significant annual operating expense for rental properties, and if if affordable rental properties can lower or eliminate annual property taxes, they can charge even lower rents to low-income tenants. If you have questions on valuation in Georgia or in any other state, please check out Novogratz's Government Consulting and Valuation Advisory Group. You can find information at www.novico.com under the Services tab. Also, feel free to call my partner, Brad Weinberg, in our Washington, D.C. office. 240-235-1701. In New Markets Tax Credit News, the City of Fife on last week issued its latest Qualified Equity Investment Issuance Report. The monthly report identifies the total dollar amount finalized by New Market Tax Credit allocatees, as well as the amount remaining to be issued, among other things. According to last week's report, about $99 million in Qualified Equity Investments, or QEIs, were finalized in February. This is significantly less than the $793 million that was finalized in January and the $1 billion finalized in December. In fact, this is the smallest amount of QEIs finalized since August of 2014 when $75 million was finalized. While February's drop-off compared to the previous two months is clearly due to the passing of the June 30th deadline. That was the date, as you'll recall, by which allocatees from prior rounds needed to meet necessary QEI issuance thresholds. This was leading to a big push to finalize investments by the end of December and certainly by the end of January. So as of March 7th, the results of this uh, recent issuance report, the amount reported as still available in New Market Tax Allocation Authority is about $1.4 billion. However, as you've heard on this podcast before, of that $1.4 billion, Likely much, if not nearly all, has been unofficially committed. I will remind you, though, if you have any questions about your investments or the New Market Tax Credit Program more generally, please contact my partner, Diana Letzinger, in our Long Beach office at 562-432-9482. And if you'd like to read a copy of the latest QEI issuance report, go to www.newmarketscredits.com. In other New Market Tax Credit news, a bipartisan bill was recently introduced to create a state New Market Tax Credit program in Minnesota. Like its federal counterpart, the 39% state credit would be claimed over seven tax years. 
The bill provides up to $300 million of credit authority from 2015 through 2017. With the 39% credit, the authority equals $117 million in tax savings. The program will expire in 2029 or whenever all of the credits have been claimed, whichever comes first. Copies of House File 688 and its companion bill, Senate File 1217, are available at www.newmarketscredits.com. As always, I'll keep you updated in future podcasts and on Twitter. In historic tax credit news, a recent report highlights the success of a state historic tax credit program that is, ironically, in danger, serious danger, of being cut back. Regular listeners will likely guess that I'm talking about the state of Wisconsin, and they'd be correct. In previous podcasts, I've covered the ongoing efforts to protect the state historic tax credit in Wisconsin. It's a highly successful program that some policymakers think has gotten too popular. A recent report shows that Wisconsin issued $41.7 million in historic tax credits during the 14-month period ending in February. This report was done at the request of the state legislature. It shows that the impact of the credit program is significantly greater than expected. The credit percentage has increased over the past few years, rising from 5% to 10% then to its current 20%. The program is so attractive that it was briefly suspended last summer due to the overwhelming participation. It's since been reinstated, but as the report showed, it remains very popular. To keep a check on the heightened demand, Wisconsin Governor Scott Walker is proposing a $10 million annual historic tax credit cap in his budget. That's his budget request for the next two years. His proposal would add a competition for the credits with jobs created and economic benefits as major deciding factors. The budget will likely be finalized by July 1st. Before that, there will be hearings around the state and a new version will be prepared by the state's Joint Finance Committee. You can learn more about state historic tax credit programs at www.historictaxcredits.com. And if you have any particular questions, send an email to cpas at novaco.com. In renewable energy tax credit news, I have an update that I know many of you have been waiting for. The IRS has finally updated its beginning of construction guidance for the renewable energy production tax credit and investment tax credit. The updated guidance reflects the one-year extension of the credits that was put into law by the Tax Increase Prevention Act of 2014. Now, prior to that extension, the construction of a qualified facility had to begin before January 1, 2014 for the facility to be eligible for the PTC or ITC. Prior IRS notices provided guidance to determine whether construction had begun on a qualified facility prior to January 1, 2014. Well, legislation that was enacted at the end of 2014 that extended the date by which construction facility must begin was moved to January 1, 2015. So in this recent IRS notice, the IRS basically updates all references in prior IRS notices from January 1, 2014 to January 1, 2015. More specifically, Notice 2015-25 provides that if a facility is placed in service before January 1, 2016, then the facility will be considered to satisfy the continuing construction test for purposes of satisfying the physical work test and, or I should say, or the continuing efforts test for purposes of satisfying the safe harbor. Furthermore, if construction began before January 1, 2015 and the facility is placed in service before January 1, 2017, it will be considered to satisfy the, the continuous construction test or the continuous efforts test. 
I should note that's regardless of the amount of physical work performed or the amount of cost paid or incurred within that time frame. Now you can find a copy of the notice 2015-25 at www.energytaxcredits.com. More importantly, I'd urge you to contact my partner, Stephen Tracy or Tony Grapponi in our San Francisco or Boston office respectively for additional information as to your particular project qualifying under this ruling or notice, I should say, to be more exact. And of course, if you'd like to learn more about the guidance and other renewable energy topics, I invite you to join us at the Novogratic Financing Renewable Energy Conference next month. It's going to be held in Las Vegas, April 23rd and 24th, and there is time to register still. Go to www.novoco.com events. I do look forward to seeing you there. And if you have any questions, as always, email cpas at novoco.com. Well, that brings me to the end of this week's report. I invite you to join me again next week for another Tax Credit Tuesday. This is Michael Novogratik. Thanks for listening. This weekly podcast has been brought to you by Novogratik & Company, LLP. Archived discussions are available online at www.novoco.com forward slash podcast or by subscribing to the Tax Credit Tuesday podcast in iTunes. Novogratik & Company LLP is a national certified public accounting and consulting firm with offices nationwide. Learn more about our professional services at www.novaco.com.